This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you're trying to improve your golf game, Callaway knows you can't hit the ball further by doing the same old thing. It takes unconventional thinking to transform your game, and that's what Callaway did with the new Maverick Driver. Maverick drivers were designed using advanced AI. Callaway's supercomputer tested and refined thousands of virtual prototypes until it created Callaway's fastest, most forgiving driver. New distance is out there. It takes a Maverick to find it. Explore Maverick drivers at callawaygolf.ca. The economy in Canada is reopening, but if you think back just a few months, you may remember reading news stories about the mad scramble to obtain masks, gloves, and other personal protective equipment. The shortage was so acute that policymakers started a concerted effort to build a supply chain in Canada. It's known as reshoring, and it's taking place here in other countries. I'm Gabe Friedman, a reporter for the Financial Post, and you're listening to Down to Business. This week, I spoke to Irene Lauro, a senior economist at Schroeder's, as part of an ongoing series on the challenges and opportunities of reopening Canada. She gave me a high-level update on what's happening with the economic recovery, both around the world and specifically in Canada. In terms of reshoring, she told me the pandemic has accelerated a trend towards a gradual, partial reversal of globalization. For example, bringing manufacturing back to Canada. But there may be some unintended consequences, she said, including that companies look to offset the higher costs of labor by relying on automation. After the interview, Lauro mentioned it's a really exciting time to be an economist because so much is in flux and there's really no modern parallel to today's situation. One thing that economists are trying to figure out is how quickly consumers will start spending their money again. We talked about deflation, the term for when prices start falling, and how this could change people's spending habits and why it's crucial to any recovery. Irene Lauro, welcome to Down to Business, and thank you for joining me. Hi, Gabe. Thanks to you. One topic that economists have been talking about a lot recently is supply chain resiliency and rethinking the supply chain. What do you think is happening on this topic and why is it so important? Well, uh, yes, I think the coronavirus is accelerating a number of trends. And one of these trends is really the, the hit to globalization. We saw that globalization peaked with the global financial crisis in 2008. And as the global trade was really falling as a share of uh, GDP since the, since the crisis, and now I think with the coronavirus, basically, this has forced companies to rethink their supply chains. Uh, they, they, they have to make their supply chains more resilient. And in some cases, I think there will be a preference to move production closer to home. Uh, I think people will start to look for alternative suppliers at home, even if they're more expensive. Uh, they could stick to domestic suppliers because uh, reshoring, reshoring creates certainty. So you don't have to be, you don't have to worry about your national trade policies. So, 
it sounds a bit like you're saying globalization, which we've been talking about for, I don't know, maybe two decades as the driving force that's reshaping the world. The trend towards globalization is reversing maybe just a little bit. Is that basically right? Yeah, I think we are going to see some small reversal in gradual reversal of globalization. And I think, you know, people are going to start bringing production at home. So you're bringing jobs back. And one thing that uh, really co- globalization was had a major impact was uh, wages. So we saw that globalization put a lot of downward pressures on, on wages. And so we, now with this more reversal of globalization, we could see people, people are bringing jobs back to their home country. So we could see uh, that could help with downward pressures on wages that the globalization uh, created. And, uh-huh. and I think uh, as a result of that, we could, we could also see another, another thing happening, which is actually the, the rise in, uh, in technology. I think since probably labor costs will be higher in the home countries, yes, there will certainly more jobs being created, but firms will try to offset this rise in, in labor costs, probably with a, a more widespread use of automation and, uh, and technology. Okay, automation will be rising up. Was this already happening before the pandemic? No, I think it's it's not new. I think uh, the pandemic is just accelerating uh, this trend. I think we, in particular in, in Canada, we've seen uh, some automation in, uh, in the agricultural sector. I think uh, we saw some good farming innovation that was a good thing. It, it helped um, lower food prices. So that generated higher consumer demand and, and created more jobs. So certainly it's, it's, it's the, this trend of automation has been there for some time now. And the coronavirus is, go- is just going to accelerate it. And that could, automation, I think, could extend to other industries. It could extend, for example, in the, in the manufacturing industry. But also we, we think that it could also some some white collars could could be replaced by by the rise of techno- technology. Even you know the economist job could be uh, replaced by the use of artificial intelligence. And wow. and as uh, and we could also see technology to replace drivers of long distance vehicles, for instance. This is a topic that I think scares a lot of people, the idea of getting replaced by a machine. On what level does this sort of automation threaten to exacerbate inequality, that there'll be fewer jobs and they'll, you know, the types of jobs will be lower paying? Is there any truth to those fears? Well, yes, it could. Uh, we could see some large replacement for low-skills low workers. But I think one key thing that the technology will do is uh, boost productivity. And, you know, since the global financial crisis, we had a big fall in productivity. And that was one of the reasons why we, we, we didn't have a substantial wage growth. So in some sense, yes, it could replace some of the low-skilled jobs, low-skilled workers. But in the, in the other, on the other hand, we could really see this boosting productivity that we 
really need to to get the economy going and to boost econ- uh, economic growth. And and certainly, I think he will change uh, the type of workers in demand. I think with artificial intelligence and the rise of technology, there will be a large need of people with creativity, intuitive judgment, all things that you know that cannot re- be replicated by by machines. Uh, so. I think there will be a lot of focus from policymakers on how to improve education and how to boost skill training. Yeah. Well, that last thing you said is really fascinates me because a lot of what we hear about or I tend to hear about is that we need more people with math skills and science skills, hard skills that know how to program or code computers. But it sounded, correct me if I'm wrong, like you were saying, as artificial intelligence takes over, there's also going to be a huge demand for people with skills like creativity, which I think of as more soft skills. Yes, that's right. We 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 really need, you know, people also people that are be able, uh, that are going to be able to fix those machines in case you know they they are not able to work properly. Thinking about this issue of labor. Canada also relies quite a bit on immigration to fill a labor shortage. How do you think we come out on the other end of this by stopping immigration during this pandemic? Yeah, I think immigration is really critical for Canada. I think it's really important to understand what's going to happen on immigration trends as immigration has been basically the main driver of Canada's population growth. And it's important, as you said, because it generates labor force growth and, and supports in particular the, the housing market. So immigration is has been the top driver of new household growth in Canada and is now uh, declining. So we could see uh, the housing market uh, hitting a a soft part. I think an effective pause on immigration could, uh, you know, severely cut demand for housing and and therefore drag on house prices. So I know that lower prices can be seen as a good thing because, you know, that improves affordability and a lot of young Canadians can now be able to buy a house. But uh, we need to be careful here because a large and a sudden stop in uh, a drop in house prices is likely to create a negative wealth effect. So that will hit consumer spending, especially in a country where households are highly have a lot uh, amount of, of debt. So there could be a, a threat to financial stability. It's challenging, but I think that we shouldn't expect a crash in, in the housing market just because immigration has been declining. Because, you know, on the other hand, you have low policy rate, low mortgage rate that could support uh, mortgage demand. Right. So it sounds like we may be looking at more of just a soft patch or a leveling off as opposed to a crash in the housing market. Yeah, that's right. I think so. But you also mentioned we could see another period of low interest rates for the foreseeable future. Does that have any ripple effects? I know that we were talking about raising interest rates not too long ago. Now we're talking about keeping them low again for a long time. The, the the problem of will be coming will be coming basically from the inflation front. Uh, we think that this uh, the, the the pandemic will will have a deflationary impact on on the economy, and we have started to see that with core inflation uh, falling in in recent months. So and the collapse in uh, in in demand has also hit 
oil uh, heat um, oil prices and that has led to you know lower energy cost so it is likely that we are going to to live in a, in, in a deflationary world uh, for the next two years or so and so interest rates are, are likely to to remain low in order to to support uh, demand I think really the key concern here for us um, in this econo- economic recovery is really how the consumer will be will behave and how we will react to in the new normal um, we are looking at trends in in the savings rate so usually after a pandemic we see the savings rate high, higher savings rate because you know consumers confidence is low and people tend to create a little buffer in the face of uncertainty and so that even if the government has done a great job in supporting income because of the uh, income loss and the high level of unemployment we could see lower consumer spending for some time yeah well, walk me through again some of what you just said about inflation and deflation. Inflation is, I think of, you're making the same amount of money, but everything costs more. But you just said we're concerned about deflation and living in a deflationary environment. What type of effect does deflation have? Well, I think we as economists, we're really really concerned about deflation because this environment is going to hit economic growth substantially. Basically, what happens in a deflationary environment is that prices decline. And that means that because consumer expects prices to, you know, be lower in the future, they are likely to delay spending. And by delaying spending, that is really negative for economic growth. And this this doesn't all only apply to uh, applies to consumers; applies to firms as well. That you know, if they're they're seeing prices to go down, then both consumer spending and investment spending from businesses could uh, could be lower. And uh, you know, this really brings to uh, lower economic growth. Okay, it sounds like more of it has a macro effect that. There's just not that many new businesses starting, not much expansion happening. Everyone's just keeping their powder dry, their money saved. Well, on this issue of the recovery then, China and South Korea, two countries that are ahead of Canada in terms of when the coronavirus hit them, do we have any sense about how the recovery is working out over there? Yes, I think for us, uh, it's really key to look at what's happening to these countries, basically because they were the first to exit uh, the lockdown. And uh, so it's really key to understand what's going to happen then to other countries like Canada. And we looked at uh, Google mobility data in China, and this data highlights that there has been a shift in, in consumer behavior. People stayed at home for the week over the weekends, and you know, even shopping malls, uh, shopping malls are uh, were less full as they were before uh, the pandemic uh, in back in April and May. So we could see, you know, this. Uh, we in the forecast, we we assume that consumption will be lower for some times, and and China mobility data are really uh, suggesting that is like this is likely to happen. Very interesting. Well, tell me again what mobility data is exactly. Well, yes, we look at basically data on traffic. We we look at uh, in the most important cities in in China, like Beijing. We look at how uh, the the use of cars by 
by people. And those really indicate that over the weekends, people tended to stay at home. Aha. Uh-huh. Well, it's going to be, I guess, an interesting next few years from an economic perspective. This is really helpful. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Irene, and sharing your knowledge and insight with our listeners. Thanks, Gabe. Pleasure. That was Irene Lauro, Senior Economist at Schroeder's. Thank you so much for listening to Down to Business. And as always, thank you to our team. Music and production by Bryce Hall, editing by Yadula Hussein, and web support by Pamela Heaven. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend and rate us on your podcast app. I'm Gabe Friedman, and until next week, you can find all your business news on financialpost.com.